Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by Features producer Molly Gottschalk. Hey, Isaac. Hey, Molly. And I'm also joined by senior staff engineer Orda Thorax. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Orda. Great to have you. So in May, more than 100 documents outlining internal Facebook guidelines were leaked to The Guardian. They gave an unprecedented look at the inner workings of the social media giant and how they think about moderating a range of controversial topics from hate speech to violence. But for those in the art world, one key concern were a handful of slides detailing issues around nudity, especially in works of art. Both Facebook and Instagram have been criticized for removing works of art that contain nudity. Some have called the practice censorship, but it's an incredibly complicated issue, as we can kind of see from the leaked slides, which offer an example of how uh, convoluted these policies around policing nudity can be. So, Orda, I was just wondering, as, as someone who's an engineer who understands the nuts and bolts of this, can you maybe just quickly discuss the slides? What stood out to you? So I was most interested, actually, in being able to see behind the scenes. Um, for a company as large as Facebook, uh, the kind of opaque practices of how someone does moderation is like practically impossible for me to understand, aside from like an engineering perspective. Like It's really hard to understand like the sheer scale of moderation that they would have to do on a platform as big as Facebook. Like Just as a rough gist, I found out that they have something like 4,000 images per second, so even being uploaded to, to Facebook every second. Yeah, being yeah. uploaded to Facebook every second. Um, that just means that no humans could ever like be able to see and moderate this in any reasonable way. So you have to have something like an algorithm that goes through it first, and then you then have to pass that on to human beings to actually do the, is this art? Is this nudity? Is this handmade? Is this digital made? And that's when you start to get to all these ideas of like, what is art? What is the censorship? And what is Facebook doing right and wrong? Yeah, and it, and it seems like from the slides, their policies kind of geared towards making sure that there's no digitally created sexual images on Facebook. Just reading from one of the slides, we allow nudity when it is depicted in art, like paintings, sculptures, and drawings. We do not allow digitally created nudity or sexual activity. I mean, Molly, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, because I know you've written about this issue before, what were some of the, the lines being drawn and did they kind of surprise you or, or did they sort of make sense? It seems very clear looking at these slides what the policies are. We allow nudity when it is depicted in art, like paintings, sculptures, and drawings. But actually, there's often a lot of confusion around what gets through. Um, I think one of the best-known cases is Gustave Courbet's painting, uh, The Origin of the World, which uh, depicts a very photorealistic close crop of a woman's lower torso and spread thighs. Um, this was posted to Facebook by a French school teacher in 2011. And not only was it taken down, but he was suspended from Facebook for five years. So he has sued Facebook. So this has been an ongoing um, debate over this painting which obviously raises questions. Why is this particular painting not allowed? It seems like it would fit into um, that policy. So that strikes me as a very perfect case of an algorithm decided that this was like very strong nudity and then probably a human moderator just ticked a box and then they became like fully five years banned and like that account was fully flagged. The way that this system works probably is that you have a lot of pre-filters. So right now Facebook this year announced that they have now started looking at every single photo and try to provide metadata about it for the blind. So if you look at a photo that someone has uploaded to Facebook, then um, the alt tag, which is like a, an accessibility tag, um, will actually tell you, you know, 
does this image have people in it? Does it have mountains, skies? And like that kind of AI is the same tools that they will use to first say like this image could contain something that you really don't want seeing on your like Facebook private spaces. And so then it's then left to a human being to be able to say like, I think this is definitely not something that people should be seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because on the one hand, we sort of talk about these monolithic social media companies like Instagram and Facebook. But practically, ultimately, this issue boils down to individuals who we don't even know basically deciding to tick a box or not. And I think it kind of elucidates the challenges around some of these issues, which is that Facebook uh, then takes all this flack for this for this image when maybe a different moderator would have been like, oh, this is completely fine. Let this let this through. But I'm kind of curious, Orta, in terms of how the, the system sort of breaks down more concretely. I mean, can you give me a sense of uh, what role humans play in this process and how they interact with the algorithms? Yeah. Um, so as part of giving out these slides, uh, The Guardian actually interviewed a few of the moderators. So you started to get a sense of like what it's like to be a moderator inside Facebook. And generally any of these big social networks, like this problem has never existed before. We've never had so much content going through so few, like so few people and then being redistributed back out. So these people are being trained in some of the like most horrendous imagery you could ever imagine. And they're actually trained into little subsets of these um, parts of imagery. So anytime an image is flagged up, it will go to a specific group that is maybe just good with like child abuse or maybe just good with grotesque gore and they they will then be the ones that will try to decide whether like this is acceptable in the sort of public discourse because uh, even this year isis were beheading reporters and those videos were put on facebook and they were not being flagged um so at some point somebody had to have decided that this was so politically relevant that it was fine to be acceptable to the entire public mm. I mean, this really speaks to the need for AI in these cases when you talk about humans having to sit through and sift through images and video of beheadings all day. I can't imagine um, what that would do to a person. And I've actually read often about people being traumatized by doing that type of work repeatedly through the day. Definitely. It's also interesting because we were kind of discussing earlier how uh, even though AI obviously can't be be sort of traumatized in the same way as human beings, there is sort of a human bias implicit in algorithms. And I think that's maybe one misconception that people have that these algorithms are somehow completely objective. Can you just talk about some of the criteria that go into an algorithm? So obviously, uh, any any algorithm that you create is effectively imbuing your own biases into it because the way in which you build something will influence the thing that you build. Um, that's why in the tech industry, we talk about having diverse teams so that you can get many different opinions on the same problem instead of like the same set of people all having the same opinion on the same problem. Something like um, an algorithm to try and derive uh, content that you do not want to show to other people uh, will actually require a lot of different opinions and a lot of different uh, cultural backgrounds in order to actually understand what different people like one, Facebook's user base is somewhere around 85% not North American. Mm -hmm. And so like there are differences in culture, even though like some of the more like horrific things we've talked about are obviously like uh, set in stone, but there's a lot more gray matter in there. I think from an algorithmic perspective, you really do need to think about what are the data that we want to put in beforehand that, um, in terms of like example images and examples that we want to say, 
are the training data for the end results of this thing has been flagged as been so bad that it should just skip a human moderation entirely. I think this really speaks to some of the biggest issues we have with deciding what images um, can make it onto Facebook or Instagram. Um, when you look at what are the um, what are the opinions of the people who are making the rules, who are moderating moderating images or feeding um, these opinions into algorithms? An example that comes to mind: uh, this was last year, a photograph of Kim Kardashian, a nude image. Um, she had. Uh, white paint on her body was posted on Facebook on Esquire's page and on her page. It got through just fine. In the same week, there was a photograph of two topless Aboriginal women in New Zealand. They they were painted in um, for a tribal ceremony. Their image got removed. So this idea of why is one image okay? Why is another um, not okay? Another example that comes to mind was when the artist Petra Collins, she posted a photograph of her um, standing in her underwear. So it's sort of a cr close crop of that region. Um, and you could see her pubic hair, um, nothing explicit. She just hadn't um, shaved her bikini line. That image was removed from Instagram and her account was deleted. And I read an interview where she said that same day she went through and um, was just looking for similar images were other girls seen in their underwear, or their bathing suits, and really the difference was the hair. So what are our ideas about women's bodies? What do we think is offensive? Who's sort of making those rules that are um, spreading then into culture? I think that's a really interesting point, especially because this to me seems like a place where Facebook and these social media companies really don't want to be. Like they don't, it doesn't seem like they really want to be in a position of having to decide what's socially acceptable and what's not socially acceptable. Um, and yet, and yet, here they are. And I think it is tempting and, and probably right to some extent to read into what Facebook and Instagram and all these other companies do as sort of reflecting society's um, biases or feelings. But on the flip side, I also think that sometimes they'll let through work of art that's fine art that is quite objectionable. Just because something passes through the Facebook filter doesn't mean it shouldn't be interrogated for its politics, for its messaging, for what it means. On the flip side, just because something's rejected doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, it's problematic because these social media companies do have these major responsibilities, but they don't necessarily want them. Um, in the example I gave about the Kim Kardashian image, Facebook had released a statement where they basically said, you know, they have some of these policies are in place in order to deal with this um, volume of images. They said, as a result, our policies can sometimes be more blunt than we'd like and restrict content shared for legitimate purposes. You know, for example, last year in Copenhagen, a statue of the Little Mermaid, a bronze statue that had been standing for over 100 years, um, an image of that was removed from Facebook. Um, they did reinstate it. But I think that's an example of a very inoffensive um, historical national monument um, being taken down, you know, um, sort of incorrectly flagged as something that is too sensitive for users. To my mind, this can be kind of broken down into two big chunks. One is the actual logistical problem of developing an algorithm and filtering things out according to a certain standard. And the other thing is developing that standard, whatever it may be. I'm actually curious, Orta, do you think that if there was just a set standard that everyone could agree on, you could make a perfect algorithm and, and handle this perfectly? Or is the technological aspect as tricky as the as the more seemingly obviously tricky problem of deciding what's okay and what's not okay in sort of broad strokes? Yeah, I mean, until we get to a point where AIs are as smart as humans or more, then it's basically infeasible to create something that's as nuanced as uh, human moderators are. 
they definitely make mistakes as we've mentioned a few times in here but they can also rectify themselves very easily and algorithms are a little bit harder to steer uh, especially some of the more complicated ones that we're talking about here like they're actually neural networks, which is more the sense that you feed it a bunch of training data in images and videos, and then it eventually tries to figure out what are the patterns between them all. And sometimes it can be really hard to distinguish, like, what is a false positive and what is a, an actual positive. Like a birthday cake with a dollop of um, pink icing in the center. I feel like I've seen that um, as an image that's been removed from Instagram, which is clearly not um, a woman's nipple. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Um, and so what you end up with that is something that feels like it could be a nipple if you looked at it from a certain angle. Um, but in reality, if you're a robot, if you're a robot, if you're a yeah. robot looking for a round shape with a um, smaller round shape in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it, it's really a struggle. They, I don't think the technology will be there. I don't know if the technology will ever be there. But um, so I think Facebook will always need a human moderator. Uh, they'll just get better at getting the moderators to look at more important things instead of some of the less relevant things. So, so when it comes to, to instances like that, because I feel like that's an also different category than, say, the Kardashian thing that we were talking about earlier, where there almost feels like a, a kind of political or societal uh, bias at play there but but in terms of something like a computer not being able to recognize the difference between an inanimate object that looks like a human body and, and the actual human body is the solution less a technological one and more something that is on us like should we just become a little bit more understanding of the difficulties here be like oh it's flagged but now it's back up it's okay i mean how much is this just not understanding the public of how this system really works well, I mean, I think something like Facebook tries to pitch itself as being very safe space. And I think a lot of the times it's better that they are overly restrictive than being underly restrictive in these cases, especially if you're Facebook and you're trying to pitch that you are a safe space for people to work in in a social environment where you can feel secure knowing that you're going to only be seeing your friends updates and not really horrific images. Speaking of horrific images, some of these images aren't, um, you know, safe or not safe. They're um, images of women's bodies or pubic hair or um, images that sort of oppose certain societal norms. If you're thinking of Facebook as this place where you're um, sort of living and getting all of your information, um, how is this sort of shaping the way that uh, women think about their bodies or think about other women? Um, I think that's another really important issue. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's also interesting just thinking about that topic because if you're looking through some of the Facebook slides, you know, one thing that they they allow is is something where paper is clearly present in a drawing. So it's it's kind of humorous to imagine the difference between a photograph showing some nudity that Facebook wouldn't allow versus a, a photorealistic drawing of that exact same thing on a piece of paper that Facebook, by its own policies, would allow. So 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 to, it reminds me of that kind of blunt. Uh, language that Facebook used, it, it sort of feels like this issue is in inherently super nuanced in the kind of conception and even execution on the technological side, but then manifests in ways that are just really flat and feel totally off compared to, to the basic material that they're kind of dealing with. Ideally, you'd have the functionality to just opt in and say, I don't want my images censored or, um, you know, I, I want everything but um, really horrific um, ISIS-related content. 
Um, and that way it could be a more inclusive platform for all of the artists and creatives who are using it every day and using it to disseminate their work because it's clearly something that um, everyone agrees, agrees is important and uses all the time. Yeah, I'm, I don't envy Facebook in this in this situation because I can also see someone you know arguing it's like oh well you shouldn't prevent people from seeing images that tr- trouble them you know ISIS is real and it's like a threat or what if someone opts out of like portraits of women that are provocative or challenge their their images of, of how women should mm. be seen as we've kind of talked about so that's tricky but part of that is it, is, is, it, is it Facebook's job to mm. like provide those features yes and no to my mind it sort of seems like they'll hone the instruments that they have and just kind of deal with this controversy when it comes up in the future. I don't know. Where do you, do you see us in 10 years is still having these conversations? Assuming Facebook's still around. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't, I can't see this going away. Like any time that we as a collective uh, culture try to, uh, you know, post all these things in similar places that are owned by private companies, it's going to be the job of those private companies to continually keep those spaces somewhat clean. And there will always be issues where what we as a community think are very different from what the platform owners think. So leaving the digital universe and entering the physical one, Orda, where are you going to be drinking white wine this week? So I'm going to go to the Milk Gallery. Uh, They look like they've got a really good uh, show on protest right now. And I think it's very relevant. And that's just, that's photography, painting? Yep, that's all photography. It seems to be a series of uh, mainly this generation's protests, and I'm really into it. I'm skimming the works on art scene. If I had to guess, they'd make it through Facebook's filter. Um, Molly, what about you? I'll be getting out of the city this weekend, um, so no galleries or museums for me, but I'm going to a festival in New Jersey called Gratitude. They have a pretty robust art and sculpture program lined up, it appears, so I don't know exactly what I'm going to see, but I'll report back next time. And I'm going to be heading to the Studio Museum in Harlem to see their exhibition regarding the figure, which, as you might have guessed from the title, is figurative painting from their permanent collection Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. See you guys next time. Our producer this week, editorial associate Abigail Kane, and the theme music is by Broke for Free.